Hello, the internet, and welcome to season 133, episode 3 of Der Daily Zeitgeist, a production yeah. of iHeartRadio. Uh, by just screaming right there, I just uh, filled my room with viral load, uh, is something that I learned in my research oh. over the past 24 Max. hours. What uh, were you gross. researching? Well, you'll yeah. see. Well, oh, we'll, oh. we'll talk. Uh, this is a podcast uh, where we take a deep dive into America's shared consciousness and say officially off the top, fuck the Koch brothers and fuck Fox oh, News. It's Wednesday, May 13th, 2020. My name is Jack O'Brien, a.k.a. In my house, I'm quarantined. Wasting time, took my pants off. Keep your distance now, you back up six feet. Just a man and his will to survive. So many deaths, it happened so fast. Trump should have listened to Fauci. Don't lose your grip on the dreams of the past. You must fight just to keep them alive. We thank healthcare workers there on the front line rising up to the challenge of this virus if we all keep our distance then we'll all be all right and we all want to say thank you to healthcare workers all right that was courtesy of dougie fresh and uh, uh, I think I'm going to take that again, actually. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm uh, <laughs> just going to do a type 45 up top of me singing. Uh, I'm thrilled to be joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Miles Gray! Zooming in the Whistle part from D Light's yeah. is in the heart. Uh, one of my favorite albums. I remember I had to beg my dad to buy this tape because I liked the song on the radio so much. Uh, and he obliged me. And I was like, one of the first albums I can remember asking an adult to get, like, to be like, we need this album. Can you please have this in the house, please? Thank you. <laughs> And I remember you saying er, that you realized early on that the groove was in the heart, that that's where it was located. Yeah, it was and a pretty so important moment. When that if, came out, you were like, whoa. And if hmm. I could add, uh, now more than ever, I think that groove is yeah. in the heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have now you noticed, ever. Yeah. Jamie, like I'm I'm about, I and I challenge Zeitgang, go to the YouTube channels of all these companies that have quarantine commercials because they're typically uploading them. Because I feel like, now more than ever and in these times is actually one and we did a story on this but like almost comedically an absolute requirement to these commercials yeah. it's kind yeah. of shocking because it's like you have to imagine that some of these marketing employees have seen how much people are making fun of it but uh no one has found an alternative to yeah. words yeah. to amid either amid is still every headline in, in, involves amid Ugh, amidst anyway i digress well, Miles, I don't know about you, but mm -hmm. I'm thrilled to be joined well, by our co-host, Jamie Loftus. In the choir, there is a banker with a motor car, and <laughs> little children laugh on Zoom behind his back, 
And the banker never wears a mask in the quarantine. Very strange. COVID-19 is in my ears and in my eyes. There, TV on mute. Turn on the Zeit. I drink some bleach while high. That was sent to me on Instagram by Jack C, and it, uh, I love it. Thank you, Jack C. Jack C. Yeah, that was very good. Uh, well, we are thrilled to be joined in our fourth seat by a returning guest, one of our faves. She is Catherine Spires. Hi. Hi. Thank hi. you so hi. much. If I had known this had turned into a karaoke show, though, I would not have come on. I, I know you oh, said this last sorry. time, but yet you keep coming back. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, in a way, oh, you God. look unprepared now, Catherine. What's your song? Go. I am unprepared. <laughs> I do not sing. I, I'm a lifetime of unpreparedness for singing in front of other people. Are you also? Have you? Do you do karaoke? We talked about this yesterday's episode because yeah. Jack has not. Jack has not sang ever at karaoke. We found I mean, out. never sang fixed. karaoke. I do not do karaoke. I have deep issues around singing in public. Also. Interestingly, like pre-pandemic, about a year ago, a friend told me that he went to a karaoke birthday party. He was the only person who did not sing. He was the only person who did not get the stomach flu. Whoa. Well, there you so go. The See? mic had the flu? Yeah. Yeah. Of course Holy it did. Shit. The mic yeah. had that the is flu. Amateur. What an idiot. Karma. You always bring your own Powerful mic. Powerful. You always <laughs> bring your own mic. I do think there, sh- there should be a kibosh on karaoke shaming the person who doesn't want to do karaoke especially if you don't know many people yeah. that you're with Thank i've like you. not done karaoke when it's like not a group of people i know very well and people give you such shit about it you they know it's funny i've been in i've gone to like when i was first dating her majesty like she's like oh so-and-so is having a karaoke party k-town i'm like okay fine i like karaoke but when you're when the vibe is off I'm like ah, you know i'm brand new to this group i don't know anything and somebody yeah. was like hey, why don't you sing I'm like, give me this microphone, and I did Montel, <laughs> and then everybody was like, "Whoa!" But I—he's a I keeper. He's a keeper, right? Wow, <laughs> oh and he must God. be an only child based on these histrionics. Um, <laughs> I think the other thing though too is like, yeah, don't shame no. It's like that's not honestly the people who like the karaoke anyway. They're fine with people not singing because then there's. I don't, I'm sure you've been around people who use it use a karaoke party to be like, I used to sing in the chorus in high school. Oh I was yeah, in. yep. And you're like, okay, like. I oh, feel we like got a high do, school soprano yeah, in the mix. If you do Great. Disney songs, you fuck the party up. I'm sorry. That's They're- my rule <laughs> in karaoke. You fuck the party up with Disney tracks. Uh, uh, I have a friend who was really good at one song, Mac the Knife. I think I've told this story before. And he would go and like perform it towards the beginning of like a karaoke party. And everyone would be like really into it. And then like... A couple songs later, he would get up again and perform the same song again, and, and then like keep doing it, and people would get really weirded out by it. Uh, it was a really good. That it'd be that great if a, like that's like a great <laughs> subtle way to convince people they're losing their minds. Like they're just, yeah, exactly. Like I didn't just sing that. 20 I love though that like talking about if he builds on each performance as if he's like, no, nah, no, nah, all right. Now that I did the second time, I'm gonna add a little bit to this one because that first one was whack. And then so they're seeing like every time he does it, it the performance gets more in depth. It's oh, almost what a great fit. it's more unnerving if he does it almost like he's an animatronic and like every little <laughs> vocal flourish and like performance <laughs> flourish is exactly the same. And they're like, what the fuck? Oh what God. is happening right now? <laughs> uh, 
Anyways, Catherine, you and me can uh, continue to avoid singing karaoke together. Uh, We're going to get to know you a little bit better in a moment. First, we're going to tell our listeners a couple of the things we're talking about. Uh, We're going to look at viral load, what that means, how people are actually getting sick, uh, mostly indoors and from breathing each other's air. Uh, We're going to talk about how people are feeling um, about their governors, like how the governors are doing overall, which across the board, it's been pretty strong, but not all responses have been rated the same. So we'll talk about that because I feel like there's been a little bit of a media bubble where uh, we think that most Americans are like ready to get back to work because... Uh, we're seeing all those protests and stuff, and like that's a very small, small minority of people. We're going to talk about the some polling that suggests that uh, haters, people who hate both Biden and Trump, uh, prefer Biden, which is kind of a weird statistic, but it's kind of what won Trump the 2016 election. We're going to talk about the fact that there are a lot of uh, pandemics in American history where they just kind of where we just erased the pandemic from our memory. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about nothing happened. Yeah, exactly. Talk about Guy Fieri. We'll talk about what going to movie theaters in Texas is like since those are open. All of that. Plenty more. But first, Catherine, what is something from your search history that's revealing about who you are? Um, I sometimes get super into scams, um, not doing them, not yet. I'm not there yet mm. one day, um, but researching them. And I was thinking that there's this like specifically Australian thing of pretending to have cancer and getting money out of it. And there's this one influencer named Belle Gibson. And I looked her up because a few years ago she got caught out. She had been saying that she had all kinds of cancer, but she was, I think she was one of the ones who was saying she was going to manage it with vegetables. And people Mm -hmm. gave her hundreds of thousands of dollars and she said she was going to give $300,000 Australian dollars of it to charity and she never did. And the more I looked into it, like I said, I don't know what it is about Australians and pretending to have cancer. It seems to be more of a thing there than in other English speaking countries. I'm stuck on Belle Gibson. Yeah, that's a great name. Yeah. Um, It might not be her real name. She's lying about her age. She's actually saying that she's older. I'm not gonna. It sounds like a very low hanging fruit idea for Mel Gibson to change his identity. Right. I think yeah. this is Mel. G- I think we're. He's like, oh I'm yeah, sure oh me, Bell Gibson. <laughs> oh, right this she way, is Miss. Twenty eight years old. That's wild. <laughs> that is not what I would have expected from that scam. When you said you mo- noticed the sort of cancer scam more in Australia, like. Did you notice that other, like the U.S. had one that seemed more common? Like what what were you kind of seeing out there when you're like, I think this seems they really like this one. I felt like one difference with the pretending you have cancer thing is that it targets other regular people. Whereas I feel in America, there's a greater sense of like, I got to go after some rich people and get their money. Right. Mm. Oh, Which of so course we- makes sense because we're so capitalist or scammers right. would be too. <laughs> Right, right, right. They're like, ah, oh, no, no, no. Regular people don't have enough money. I need to like exactly. bleed the fattest pig in the land, which is like some company or something. Exactly. Oh well, you know, I shout out to Bell. <laughs> I just like the name Bell Gibson. It sounds like Mel Gibson's alter ego. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty I like bold. That she, I like that she had multiple, like all the cancers. She was like, ah, uh, 
Got so much, so much cancer now, this you guys. Is, please, I can't. I've got like money eight for vegetables. Yeah, I got like exactly. eight or nine cancers right now. So that's literally what she said. <laughs> she said that it wasn't like she had liver cancer, uterine cancer, brain cancer. Like oh, the list, God. it just kept growing. That's and yeah, so fucked up because yeah, it really preys on this base fear we all have. Like, there's not many people in this earth can say they've never had some kind of experience with cancer or someone in their life having it. So yeah, like it acts on this really like just hearing the word like ovarian cancer or anything cancer like oh god god is this person okay like ooh, i know how bad that can be and it's really yeah freaky. i think it's so dark yeah. i think yeah that's, that's the thing is that scamming shit. rich people because they're dumb is hilarious but making regular <laughs> people feel bad for you for having cancer bad. i don't think that's funny what came <laughs> yeah. of her lacy she's um in trouble legally but i don't think she's been put in jail she's just getting sued left and right Wow. The fact that she's 28 and already this deep into a uh, scamming career suggests to me that uh, in this in this uh, version of reality, we have not heard the last of Belle Gibson. No. Um, oh, no, she's going to have at least one I bet she says that comeback. shaking her fist as yeah. she leaves rooms. Yeah. You haven't yeah. heard the last of Belle Gibson. Belle Gibson. <laughs> Being dragged in like with old shackles, though, for some reason, like it's fucking <laughs> Pride and Prejudice or some shit. <laughs> this is a Scooby Doo villain. <laughs> we had an elaborate one of these happen at uh, Cracked in our forums, where like one of the moderators and like longtime forum member like went through this long, prolonged health crisis thing where everybody was like worried about him. He was going into surgery. It was like very, I don't know. And we were like interacting with. His daughter, while he was in a coma, and then it turned out it was all him, and like none of it was true, and it was very eerie and strange, disconcerting for sure. Was that your main feeling about it? Like disconcert? Did you feel bad for him at all, or was it too annoying? Oh, totally, one hundred percent. Felt horrible for him. Yeah, I mean, because like, were they not angling for money? It was purely just sympathy and attention. They weren't angling for money, and then oh, like we started putting together a like fund to help, and they were like, "Ah, oh, shit!" <laughs> I think because they that that oh, made wow. it too real for them. Yeah, um, well, I yeah. can appreciate them drawing the line when the jig is yeah. up. At least I think they. It's still like sorry, took I it, emotionally I still sucked the, the life out of you. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah. The cash. No, that's I've already had my fill. God, this um, is making me want to rewatch JT Leroy. What's JT Leroy? It's a long story, Jack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Wait. Well, another, another day. time. <laughs> okay. Wow. I will be Googling People can that Google now. that if they yeah. so wish. Uh, Catherine, what is something you think is underrated? Um, the show Lady Dynamite, which was Maria Bamford's show mm-hmm. that lasted for two mini seasons on Netflix. It's still on Netflix, and I came across it again. I watched it the when it first came out. It is so funny. And it's one of those yeah, really, really frustrating is. things where it's like, why did this get canceled? Netflix has all the money in the world, apparently, and this got canceled, and it's actually good. But Maria everyone should watch it. It's hilarious. Maria Bamford ended up canceling that show herself is is the good news. Netflix did not cancel it. Maria what? Bamford was like, uh, ty- I think, like just didn't want to do that intensive production schedule anymore. So she, like, it was a mutual split oh well that changes everything now i'm less angry which is nice (laughs) yeah she ended her show as self-care yeah Yeah, which is the whole show is like that's a through line in it about how she went 
she kind of lost it when she got too busy. So that's nice mm-hmm. that, you know, that she kept that in real life. Yeah, I like when creative people uh, just decide to end something as opposed to having it ended for them by the powers oh. that be. That's, yeah. that's so nice and so Rather rare. than having yeah, the project put out of its misery for all Same to see. Right. Same vibe with Fleabag, kind of, where it's just like yeah. two really good seasons, and then she's like, all right, I think we said what we had to say. Talk to you later. And it's like, yeah, yeah I admire it's it. Just, but yeah, I think it's you see that more with like in Europe than you do in America, where people are just like, right? Because I'm sure, what do you I don't mean know, culture, you're done? Yeah, if there's like an army of agents and managers, like, dude, you're leaving cash on the table right now. You're just Dave leaving. Chappelle, it. Are you kidding you? Yeah. Dave Chappelle but, did it, and mm-hmm. people like legitimately the media was covering it as if he had had, had a, a psychiatric breakdown. episode. Yeah, yeah. they're like, yeah. well, that's the only explanation for why he would leave so much money on the table. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, you mean you just make stuff and like that makes you happy? You're not, you didn't just do this to get the money? Right. Oh, whoa. Slow down, slow down, slow down. Fucking hippie. Gross. <laughs> Jamie, I hope this doesn't bum you out, but actually Marvel is working with Fleabag to launch the extended Fleabag universe. Um, oh, the hot I, priest yeah, yeah. is actually getting his own movie. <laughs> the EFU. Uh, <laughs> and where Rat he Mouth uses is the fact villain. that, yeah, uh, foxes follow him around and he uses that as his superpower. Oh, um, that's really I would actually good. watch good that. Good for them. Good for them. <laughs> and, yeah, and I think Thanos is the old man having sex with her in that first episode. He's like, "You're so young." <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I forgot about that until right now. That's um, a great. It's great to watch that show with like a uh, older, like a, maybe a parent or someone who doesn't quite know what they're getting into. Because that moment, I'm always like, "What do you think of that part?" I'm watching you right there. Oh. uh what is something you think is overrated catherine um so kind of speaking of like overdoing it as americans i think eating meat i think we need to rethink meat i say this is a non-vegetarian i feel like non-vegetarians need to rethink how much meat they consume i feel like people Mm. who are not vegetarians like eat meat every day without thinking about it and I think we need to chill out on that, especially because in all the news right now, we're learning that like it's all the meat processing plants that are hot spots for mm-hmm. COVID. And then we're learning that they've always been really dangerous for people to work in. And we're learning like all these things that have to do with humanitarian reasons why we should stop eating. Like if we don't care about the animals, that's like kind of a lost cause. But maybe other people <laughs> we care about. I don't right, know. Right. I it's think, almost as yeah. if someone 114 years ago tried to tell people what it was like working in meat packing places. It's <laughs> almost like that. The jungle? Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and yet we've still <laughs> come around to being like, yeah, this is still the scene of like abject mistreatment of workers. Yeah. And I think Americans who aren't vegetarians are like, fuck yeah, I'm going to eat meat every day. But it's like, what if we weren't vegetarians, but we still considered meat something rare and special? I don't know we could do it yeah. maybe yeah i i, I don't know i feel that like you can weird. like sort of reorient the way you think about <laughs> shit like that it's also just, just now yeah. that i've been eating less meat not even not even trying to be a good person just because i'm like going out shopping less and it's really yeah. perishable so i'm like all right i guess i'm just not going to eat it like it is I've, now more than ever Exactly. I mean, the knock-on effects of our meat consumption can be felt in the environment. 
uh, and working conditions. Absolutely. I just actually, it's funny because I just bought, I just got some Impossible meat at my grocer uh, yesterday because oh, cool. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just going to start eating Impossible burgers again because I, it's like a great comfort food because we would eat it a lot for lunch when we were all working in the same office back in the day, yeah. pre-quar. But yeah, like I think it is, you know, something I've even grappled with because like I've always been like as a kid, like the joke was like Miles only eats meat like he does. I mean, I ate vegetables, too, but like my relatives in Japan, because in Japan, the meat diet isn't as heavy there. It's now much more popular. But early on, my I remember my relatives would tease me like, oh, here comes meat boy because meat boys eat the meat. Yeah, yeah, rather than like fish or other things, or like I, I was, was like, I need give him beef. the meats. Yeah, I was the exact opposite in that my extended family at w- one time at a uh, barbecue when I was like five or six, I was raised like pescatarian for the first part of my life, and they were like, Jack, do you want like hamburger, hot dog, or steak? And I was like, What's steak? I I literally <laughs> what? didn't know what a steak was, and they were like, What's going on, Jim? To my dad, <laughs> to your dad. Like, really, <laughs> Yeah, they like shamed him for for me uh, not knowing. But that's what funny, steak yeah. Was. And we have these like I think especially for I think for me as a man too. Like when I was a teenager, eating like a lot of my food habits have were born out of like puberty and college, where I was just like, yeah, dude, I fucking eat anything. I'm growing. I need to eat all this right. shit. It's also like a dick measuring contest on it like totally how much is. food I can eat. And like it took years to be able to let these fucked habits go. I'm like. I'm like, I used to like performatively just eat a lot of food too, just for like the lulls. And now I'm like, what the fuck? This is bad. And also like perceptions of like masculinity as it relates mm-hmm. to meat. I'm like, nah, man. It is part of to- toxic masculinity, weirdly. A lot enough. to unpack. Yeah. A lot yep. to unpack there. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> so I eat my impossible my- burger and I'm feeling manly. <laughs> Miles, do Good you have you. like, do you have, uh, when you're eating the Impossible Burgers, do you have cutouts of like Anna and Nick and me oh, yeah. up yep. around the table? Yep. Yeah, me too. And I order, I'd order way more extra ketchup for Nick because he famously <laughs> just like, it's like gazpacho soup and burger the way he eats the yeah. ketchup with the burger. He really, really goes in. Um, what is a myth, Catherine? What, what's something uh, people think is true, you know, to be false or vice versa? So the idea of a patient zero, specifically as it relates to the HIV epidemic. Um, Wait, the COVID bat isn't real? Probably not. One of the reasons, so there's a couple of reasons why patient zero is a false premise. And one of them, I think it's so interesting and so basic. It's all about linguistics. The doctor who wrote up the report about patient zero, he actually didn't write zero. He wrote O. As in, this is our patient who is outside of California because they were studying people in California. But it got misinterpreted as patient zero, which obviously is a way cooler like branding, yeah. right? It sounds good. Yeah, as if in they the created that it the disease bad. within themselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Ah, I will make it. Because the, the myth is about like a flight attendant, right? Yeah, exactly. A guy who, he was a flight attendant. and A French-Canadian or something? French-Canadian, uh-huh. Um, Gaetan Dugas, I think was his name. Right. And the idea was that he was just an absolute sex maniac going from city to city on the airplanes and fucking everybody and that he knew he was sick, but he didn't care. He just had to bang constantly. So none (laughs) of that was really true. It's just a good story in the sense of like, oh, it's going to get all the conservatives upset. Yeah. And helps reinforce those stereotypes. Yeah. And one of the reasons why 
he was actually incredibly helpful with studying HIV. It's actually really heartbreaking that he was so demonized because the reason he was so helpful was because he actually remembered the names of most of the people he had sex with. So they were wow, able to trace wow. from him, whereas all the other early patients were like, I don't know. I don't know who any of these people were. <laughs> so right. he was like sweet enough to catch their names and then he got in trouble for it, essentially. It's wow. so messed up. So, so there, he yeah. was just noteworthy because he was so helpful to researchers and like there was so much written up on him because he was like able to help do like contact tracing. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And then this book was published a few years after he died called And the Band Played On, which is pretty famous. I think a documentary yeah. version is yeah, made. Yeah, HBO. Mm-hmm. And the person writing it like laid all of the blame for HIV essentially on him. And then a few years after that, the editor of the book publicly apologized, saying that he let the author do that on purpose because he knew it would drum up book sales and he knew that it wasn't true. Ugh. Ugh, Damn. Fucking hell. Yeah. Not worth it. No, not at all. It's crazy. So that's another thing I think like in in these times that looking for a patient zero and I see in the media, they'll still do that like patient zero zero or like patient zero of this particular outbreak in Chicago. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if we should be doing that. I don't know what benefit there is. I mean, maybe just for the purposes of scientific data gathering as like some way to just identify like I think this is where we need to look first. But like for the media concept of it i think is what you're like talking about is like how we need like who do we blame exactly like, who the fuck was it who ate some weird shit what the fuck like yeah. that's i think what that idea of a patient zero helps people do is just be like fuck that person it just builds up their anger also yeah. speaking of which i want to say that we keep saying wet market in america i think because it sounds gross so we get to think that it's gross it's a farmer's market. If we just called it a farmer's market, people would have a clearer idea of what they were talking about. Maybe a less racist mm. one. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. What, why do they call it? Where did that designation of wet market even Like, what, what do you have to be to be have a wet market? I think it's the things that they sell there, if I'm remembering correctly, that a wet market right. has meat and the dry market is like only um, like grains and stuff like oh, that. Oh, so fresh meat, fish, produce, and perishable goods. Yeah, the fucking farmer's market. Exactly. <laughs> right. exactly. There's not a fish, not a fishmonger there. There's not a meat person there. There's not the every person selling produce. Really interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, all right, guys, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. So this piece by uh, Aaron Bromage, the professor of epidemiology from uh, UMass, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more about it. Yesterday we talked kind of about some of the macro stuff, uh, but mm-hmm. today I wanted to talk about some of the details because he kind of gets into the weeds of how the virus like is transmitted, and he uses a couple of different sort of case studies but basically it's a lot of studying of like how much viral load gross phrase but uh one that is actually helpful for understanding like how the thing is transmitted so for instance a single cough releases about 3000 droplets uh a sneeze 30000 droplets a breath is only like 50 to 500 droplets or 50 to 5,000, depending on how long it's taking, how long you're spending with the person. 
But it really seems like the main thing to keep in mind is like spending a lot of time with people indoors. Like they, yeah. they did this, uh, they said exposure to virus times uh, time formula. And that's basically how they're doing all contact tracing. Um, so if you spend greater than 10 minutes in a face-to-face situation, they view that person as potentially uh, infected. Um, and they so they looked at like this one uh, restaurant where just the direction that the air was moving like through the room based on like where vents were um, determined like which people at uh, the table and then which table around the original person who was infected uh, got infected. But then they also looked at a workplace and it was just basically one entire side of an office got uh, infected and nobody on the other side because it was all, it's all location-based, yeah. basically. It's just being around the person for a long time. When we were talking yesterday and I was like, oh my God, it's going to be hard to do a podcast because that workplace you're talking about was like a call center. And they talk yeah. in bromage, if we're going to honor the French pronunciation of his yes, name. Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> rather than bromage, which I'm sure in college, dude, get bromage in here. Um, <laughs> the like, just sort of the idea that like, right, like speaking is another version of expelling these droplets and increases to the viral load time versus exposure thing. And it really, I was like, damn, it's like the ventilation is so key. Like, because if like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. outside is a completely different whole bag because it's, it's not confined space. There's natural airflow. Like it's a way less risky, but just even in a thing with, even with AC, that's just swirling it around. And I think that's why it, for me, it makes me, you, you realize why, especially people who are working in grocery stores are particularly vulnerable. Us as someone like a consumer goes to a shopping, uh, a market, maybe 20 to 40 minutes, you get all your shopping done. Versus right. someone who's working an eight-hour shift in that same building with people constantly going in and out, that's a completely right. different risk factor. And then you're like, oh, like it's it's much less of like, oh, that person's not wearing a mask in this context. It sort of helps you understand like truly like why places like you're saying meat processing places, your shoulder to shoulder, terrible ventilation, bad outcome. Yeah. I read another element of that too that I totally didn't think of is that in meat processing plants, the machinery is so loud that you have to yell. Right in people's yeah. faces to be heard, so that's not. That's help. a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched a video that a Q and A that a doctor did a while back, and one of the questions was, when I go outside to run an errand or whatever, do I need to wash my clothes immediately after I get home? And he said, right. No, I do because I'm a doctor and I'm in the hospital all day. You going to the grocery store, you're fine. I wouldn't even worry about it. I take off all my clothes and throw it in the washer when I get home. You're fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I, that's you know all the surfaces, all the all the different. I mean, unless somebody was like sneezing on your back or something, well then. But you probably right. noticed that, right? <laughs> I don't know. I got these AirPods in. I'm blasting metal when I'm in the when I'm in the shopping center to stay focused. Having someone sneeze on my back is actually my kink. So this is <laughs> Ooh, it's made this it's very difficult. But you have yeah. to be. But he has to be wearing an old Jerry Stackhouse Seventy Sixers throwback jersey. <laughs> That's right. It's very specific. In a yeah. way, it's just what you needed. It is. It's uh, all, and that's all I needed. <laughs> let's talk about how people are feeling as we entered this week, where people were 
you know, the the media was suggesting that maybe we were going to see a lot of different places open back up. There's a there's a poll from the Washington Post that shows an interesting relationship between a governor's approval numbers and like how aggressive they're being when it comes to their containment policies. Yeah. It's and it, this is kind of part of the thing we're talking about like and the when you watch the news or read articles, it's always like amid pressure from citizens or amid pressure from blah, 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 governors are trying to figure out a way to open as quickly as possible. But this poll, I think, completely undermines that sentiment. You look at, again, overall state governor approval of like how they're handling situations around 71%. So Ohio, where DeWine is doing a pretty decent job, 86% approval. That's a state that went for Trump, and he has 86% approval. And comparatively, mm-hmm. he is not trying to open the state as aggressively as someone like, let's say, Greg Abbott, who has 57% approval, or Kemp in Georgia, who has 39% approval. So it's funny, like when you look at this, you're saying, oh, okay, even states that have Democrat governors that are doing this, they're, they are getting some bit of bipartisan support for being like, yeah, man, like this is what needs to happen. Um, and especially like Ohio, I think is a really interesting case because that's a swing state. There's that went for Trump. This isn't like a, hey, man, let's just open everything back up. They're being very cautious. And his he has the highest approval rating. That's like real bipartisan support uh, for his leadership. And that's what makes this whole thing very it's hard for someone like Trump and the people who cry for reopening because when they look at this poll, Trump clearly saw this because he tweeted immediately, right? That there's like this 71% base governor approval. He tweeted, remember this, everyone who has sky high approval on their handling of the coronavirus, and I'm happy for them all, could in no way have gotten those numbers or had that success without me and the federal government's help. From ventilators to testing, we made it happen. Shut the fuck up. You're missing the point. The whole point here, champ, is that the governors who are locking down are getting better numbers, fuckwit, not because you gave them testing. The people say, I like the leadership this person is demonstrating. I feel safe. That's what safe is to people, not that they want to reopen. It's really uh, a, a bizarre, bizarre dynamic right now. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel like there there is like, it, it makes sense that it incentivizes uh, like Businesses that want to open anyways, uh, and I don't, I'm not talking about small businesses, I'm talking about like large chains and, and stuff like that. It behooves them to say, well, everyone's saying we have to open again, and there's no real way to quantify that. So there is an easy way to craft a media narrative of like, okay, we have these pictures of some people are protesting, and, the, and those groups, while infuriating, are in the minority of of people and you have like companies that want to open and want to start getting revenue again and it's very very easy to craft that media narrative and then and then also just force people back to work in unsafe conditions yeah, um yeah. as well well the yeah, also- i mean when you yeah there's another poll that uh asks americans like are you do, would you rather america like open to like get businesses back open or would you rather them be cautious and wait and keep businesses closed? And when you ask all American adults, it's 74% want a cautious approach. And when you even focus it on laid off or furloughed workers, it's 79% are looking for a, a more cautious approach. So yeah. the and energy you know, to reopen is really 
it seems like it's coming from the Koch brothers and like the, you know, the astroturfing. Yeah, yeah I mean, class. because there's, it's also like there's not the infrastructure to open a lot of, like reopen a lot of places safely where I've been seeing a lot of this. And then I have like friends and family who like use public transit to get to work, but they're like, okay, so the cafe I work at is reopening, but they're not allowing, imp- like if you can't get your job back unless you have a car. And some of these people live in like New York City in gigantic cities where it makes no sense for that to be the demand. And so it's like, you know, there is a demand to open the business so the business can start generating revenue, but there's no precautions taken for the workers. There's no like plan for recourse of getting them there safely, of providing them with the safety that they need to do it. And so people are like remaining unemployed as well. And it's just, yeah. Well, I think the, the like the main refrain too is like from every doctor's like without sorting out the biology piece of this, there is no economy. Like, I don't understand what every science like, I don't understand why you're worried about that. If people get sick and die, you're going to be dealing with a debilitating crisis in perpetuity that will guarantee the absolute economic, economic financial demise of the country, because mm-hmm. you're, you're basically trying to operate in like these conditions. It's abs- it's just antithetical to the outcome you're looking for. It's like, if you want economy, because look what something like 70% of our economy is consumer spending then you need consumers that are healthy, that have faith in going outside. The numbers are telling you right now, nearly three-fourths of the country is not feeling that way. So even if you do, these people aren't ready to go out and start throwing their cash around. That's like, And also, jobs, are, like no one has a sense of stability because we still don't feel safe in terms of like, we have treatment and we have a vaccine. We're still arriving at that place very slowly. Yeah. yeah. Just another way to disregard human life. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that's why it's important for people to realize like when most people listening, right, who say uh, if you if you actually care about science and believe you're like, yeah, that's not good. That doesn't sound good. That these don't sound like good outcomes. Oh, I could get someone sick. I don't want that. But then you think, why are these people insisting we go back to work? Haven't they heard that people get sick? It's because again, like we're saying, this the ownership class, the people who own these businesses, they're looking at their revenues go down and they're like get my fucking workers my wage slaves back out there so i can see my revenues go back up it's nothing to do with people's safety and i think that's what i wish you know again you're not gonna hear that like when they dissect these pieces like who are these people doing jump squats in front of the gym it's like they're just they've been co-opted by a group a very powerful group of wealthy people who can give them some pre-made signs and give them some you know like a rap sheet to to go off of when they talk to the media I wonder if they do start like companies, the businesses that start opening early, if they'll lose even more money. Because I was thinking about like all the women in those televised protests are always talking about how they want to get their hair done. Well, I very much would like to get my hair done. But if the salon opened today, I wouldn't go and I wouldn't go for months. I can live with having like really shaggy hair. It's fine. So if if a salon opened today and no one came would they maybe just entirely lose their business? Like, it seems like they could be worse off. Yeah, I think it's a it's a hard balance because again, without consumer confidence, there's no consumption. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's that Dallas salon. I, I do think somebody like who is pro-science uh, should maybe organize a boycott for any businesses that are just disregarding public health initiatives to try and get open 
Uh, I'm sure. And, I'm sure that yeah. will happen. And like, and, I, I do feel for business owners, but like, there needs to be some some incentive for people to do what is best for everyone. Right. And I think also like, and I completely understand you're a small business owner. You're absolutely getting killed by not being able to do business. But again, the, that anger or that frustration needs to be aimed at the federal government because they're not, you know, other countries are somehow trying to find ways to keep things afloat despite the economy grinding to a halt. Whereas our strategy here is to be like, okay, how can we cut checks for the top, top 1%? That's what all that's happened. And I think Rather than getting mad, it's like, well, I can't open my business. I understand that. But you also need to look. The uh, Trump is giving your fucking money away to billionaires that are laughing their asses off right now while your actual right. small business is fucking dying. And it's not because of scientists. It's because of the, like, please understand the flow of of revenue and cash and capital in this country. Like, it's not meant to actually help you. And I And I feel bad when, you know, like, it becomes so apparent that there's just absolute total disregard for normal working people. It's like, well, I don't know. Did you give me over? Did you give me a six figure donation to my pack? Dude, then I'm not taking that call. Like, I don't give a fuck. Right. Right. Well, let's talk about politics because uh, we are in a presidential election year. Have you guys heard about this? That uh, Donald Trump is is running <laughs> for president oh, against Joe Biden, the guy That's who so I guess used to Joe be the vice president. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting new poll that says, you know what? One of the things that we hear uh, that I've heard a lot, at least on on Twitter from the people I follow, is that like, you know. Electing Biden or nominating Biden is kind of death because people aren't nobody like feels passionately about him. And that has always made sense to me. But apparently in 2016, an important voting block was people who wanted to vote for somebody, but hated both of the candidates and voted anyways. Um, And that that ended up being about 20 percent of voters uh, and uh Trump outperformed Clinton by 17 percentage points according to exit polls uh, yeah. in 2016. It's, you know, people go with the devil they don't know, uh as the article says. Like, you know, it's like, well, because a lot of people in their mind without even actually thinking about what Donald Trump as president would look like, we're just like, I don't know, Clinton woman, nah, like and I'm not willing to think much deeper than that. Um now like when they start looking at People like this same group of disaffected Republicans, independents, other Democrats, things like that. Biden is leading that group by 40 percentage points. And that and and according to this poll, like for the way people were uh, sort of identifying, that's nearly a quarter of registered voters. Now, these are polls and they don't mean anything, but it is interesting. I think the one thing to see is that with Trump as the incumbent, that there is a group of people who are kind of looking at it like, Okay, I may I don't know if do I want four more of this? Like is that but that's a but it's a small group because I think for the most part you look at the numbers, 43% of the country is voting for him. That's that's just nailed on. Uh but it's like interesting right. to see the mo- the movement in these other pieces that aren't quite nailed down. Mm. Yeah. 43% um, are voting definitely for Trump or for Biden? I'm s- yeah. No, uh, Trump, Trump, Trump. Okay. Yeah, just Trump. based on like that his approval just seems to always hover there. I'm like, okay, those are the dedicated, the people who are dedicated to the white supremacy death cult 
who are willing to just do whatever it takes. So many right. people. It's too many people, I would say. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they saw, right. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, they saw yeah. the absolute nightmare scenario, which was a, a black man become the strong, the most powerful person in the country. And that's such an inversion of racial power for some people. They needed Trump to fucking just, you know, fucking erase that. And that's really the you degree know, that's to which seen. the Obama administration, the Obama presidency made America like. I'd say 200% more openly racist is really like can't be underestimated. Like that was it, it, people were like, well, racism's over when he got elected. And then immediately everyone was uh, just openly racist. Uh, Semi related. I very much enjoyed the new Michelle Obama documentary on. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. It's fun. It's like if you've read her book, it's just a summary of a, the book in the book tour, but. Put me in a good mood. I enjoyed it. Nice. Hell yeah. I'll, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll I'll fucking vote for for Joe Biden, but I I I just don't want anyone to ask me to feel happy about it. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not legally required to feel happy about it, and I won't. No, but I don't want uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. There's back to the good old days, you know, when you could look a racist in the eye and be like, "Can we agree on this? All right, bipartisanship. Yeah. Good way to go." I think, <sighs> you know. It's it's interesting even to just to see how how much the Tara Reid coverage fluctuates from being talked about to not talked about to then seeing a lot of Democrats fall in line who traditionally I I thought would be voicing an opinion on the side of if there is a credible accusation then we should hear this person out to suddenly being like I think Joe Biden was credible and I don't even think that's limited yeah. to the DNC it's just human nature yeah. and like when the the stakes are like this people are willing to be like I'm going to shut my mouth on this thing because I'm just focused on this horse race where I just have to make sure blue team wins. It sucks when we we lose any kind of like principles or trying to change things substantively because I think to really do that we have to we have to make some really hard decisions otherwise, you know, things just keep going on. Yeah. Is there any chance at all that someone besides Biden gets the nomination? I it's possible. I mean, it's, it's possible, but I don't know. I haven't heard enough where I like I'm starting to hear like, oh, they're really thinking about this. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I haven't heard any indication that anyone high up in the DNC is interested in taking these allegations seriously enough to question taking their candidate out of the race. Got it. Yeah. No, that's probably but, happen, you know, and but... it's weird. And like, it's just p- human nature, right? Like there, this presidency has been so fucked up that now it's like, just fucking anything, please. Like, okay, this guy is problematic. I just don't care. Like this other guy in my mind is more problematic and just get this fucking bandaid off, please. Like, just can we move on? And, but we're like in part in doing that is like, we're trying to, we're trying to make real changes to our society on the way to this point of like, you know, advocating for people who are oppressed and like actually trying to change our ideas and perceptions around rape culture and consent culture. And yeah, when, I mean, it's worse than problematic. It's yeah, it's I mean, I say like that lightly. It's, it's, it's no, action. it's yeah, I guess I mean, just more in general, like the just zooming out in terms of like a binary of what we're looking at, it's like just not, yeah. this isn't, uh, it's tough when we see so many things that are wrong and the opportunity to change them. And It's not quite the way we need. All right, guys, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back.
we're back. Uh, and real quick, I wanted to talk about this uh, article in The Atlantic about like how um, pandemics are remembered because that's been something that I've just been curious about is like what will the uh, cultural, like pop cultural impact of the pandemic be other than a bunch of like bad rom-coms as we've talked about, like the the mumblecore uh, rom-com about like getting... Give me the Duplass mumblecore divorce. <laughs> right, exactly. But this article looks at like some different, like the 1918 uh, epidemic that like wiped out think uh 700,000 Americans and they think between 17 million and 100 million people worldwide it was like right around world war 1 and this author uh just points out that like it was completely ignored like culturally like the it was almost like it, it was just blanked out by the war and like the war being kind of a more, even though it killed fewer people, it was like a, an easier thing to write about because it was, you know, humans killing other humans. The, uh, the writer is Charles C. Mann, uh, very history Chuck writer, Man. uh, well, well, Chuck Mann. What was, what was everyone's Gioni. familiar? I mean, I was barely aware of the 1918 pandemic before this yeah. was looming. Like, so I, he points out, I still that, don't know like, what it is. Yeah, <laughs> he points out that Hemingway, Faulkner, Fitzgerald, and Dos Passos all like lived through it, and they never once mention it. Like it, it was a, it was like this massive thing that happened, and then like within twenty years, the it was like not no longer in history books. Like it was taken out of the textbooks, and then like in the seventies, somebody wrote a book that was like, yeah, this happened. Do we not want to talk about that? Because this happened like in 1918. No, let's talk I about wonder... it next time it happens. <laughs> yeah. Because I think the one thing that I took away just from like reading about, you know, the firsthand accounts of people then is like, it was just so bleak. Like they were just tossing like kids wrapped in sheets onto like a wagon that would come down the street. To yeah. be like, like, you know, fucking Life of Brian, like bring out your dead type shit. And yeah, it, I wonder if that's just, it's so traumatic. It's like, dude, we know, like we saw dude, people young know. and old die and it's just like, maybe let's just go to nice, nice. Like maybe, because maybe it was one of those things like, Hey, too soon, too soon. That's what I was thinking right. too. Like they thought the war was finally winding down and then this happens and they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go get drunk. And that's what <laughs> the flappers were all about. They were they were wanted to party because they might die at any point. Right. Right. I just want to read this account from like an old person, like an old uh, who was interviewed right. like in 96 about them growing up during the Spanish flu uh, epidemic. Quote, they were dying. Many families losing one or more in their family. It was getting so bad the deaths that even they had to use wagons drawn by two horses to carry to the grave. I remember seeing them pass the house. Seems like to me now it was every day at that time when the phone would ring, when my mother and my father would listen in and they would turn to us, they would name the person they just heard had died. It was night and day and you would hear about these people dying. My father never got the flu, but he would go to town, buy groceries for neighbors and take it to their front porch. And we didn't get the flu at all in our family, but it was terrible. So I think Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Yeah, like I think just everyone's just sort of like just shuddering still. But I also yeah, right. it's 
But I mean, I do wonder, like, because people were shuttered, right? Like everybody was kind of doing the same thing we were doing just without streaming media. So I wonder if like that, the fact that we're just like, okay, we are actively burning time. Like that is what our activity is right now. We're just getting through this. Like if that then becomes just this gap in our like imagination and like cultural uh, understanding. And I I was going to say that uh, this article also points out like that we like America as a nation is founded on like the bones of the biggest uh, plague in the history of the world that killed a hundred million Native Americans up to, uh, you know, there's disagreement on the numbers, but it was, you know, it was just a nation that existed and was like fully functioning. And then everybody died of plague and the European settlers just moved in and were like, man, this is easy. This is, this whole land is completely settled. Yeah. That's what's freaky too with like what's happening in South Dakota because a lot of tribes are setting up checkpoints because they don't want people bringing COVID onto the reservation because mm. again, they look at a, the, that population is already being horribly disproportionately affected by COVID and they are, they are reliving this in real time now where they're saying, hold on, we have to fucking really protect ourselves now because this shit is coming back now and we're setting... So them setting up checkpoints has led the governor gnome of south carolina be like i'm gonna sue uh just to oh, to challenge these checkpoints despite so many people saying the settled laws like this is their sovereign land that they are well within their rights to have these checkpoints because that that was the shit deal the bureau of indian affairs gave people back in the day and even now you're not going to even honor the sovereignty of their land when there's not even the help like the consideration to the decimation of their people it's fucking bullshit uh, yeah. but it's, it's weird to even see this now, like dimensions of this, it, 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 it's playing out. Like these, we're seeing like these little moments of history come back in these very vivid ways. And it, there's a lot of, a lot of fucking, you know, trauma and fear built into something like that. Yeah. I also yeah. want to say that Mr. Mann, in terms of the literature he cites, he's only citing like the top five basically in terms of like the most famous authors of that time and they're all men and I wondered if we look deeper into literature like beyond the bestsellers maybe or books written by women who knows maybe there is more about this in literature it's just not what we're given to read in high school because those are all like high school curriculum writers that is kind of funny yeah if it was like (laughs) a hundred years from now they're like well Chris D'Elia never told a joke about COVID so (laughs) I really don't know if it was a part of the conversation at all. I believe that your AKAs during this time will be what is like recognized history. That's what I remember. The songs of of Lil Zam serenaded the people through the dark time. (laughs) Um, But we have to move on to some important news because, Miles, you've had a a spiritual shift on your relationship to uh, Guy Fieri. Oh, yeah, I mean, Guy Fieri, the Fierissance, as I call it, has uh, opened my eyes to some prejudices that I was holding against this man. Um, you know, like the last, I feel like 18 months, I feel like the Fierissance has been like in full effect where every tr- story that comes out is like, what? Guy Fieri's not a douchebag? I truly think that Shane Torres, shout out Shane, like started the national waking up 
the global waking up to the fact that Guy Fieri never did anything to hurt us. Yeah. And like, I'm like, wait, hold on. This dude's like got like, he's like a good dad and husband. I'm like, what? I'm like, what? He officiated a mass same-sex marriage for over 101 same-sex couples in honor of his sister who was lesbian yeah. that passed away. I'm like, what? Okay. So I'm like, okay. And I, then the, the reason I bring this up now is that like, we found out that there was this National Restaurant Association Education Foundation fund that was being set up for restaurant employee relief because the food industry has been just absolutely fucked by this whole shutdown. It's like it's horrific um, to the point where most restaurants like I don't know what to do. I don't know how we reopen. I guess we'll just like just go till the wheels come off at this point and then we'll go from there. But this fund was meant to, you know, help employees receive like a one-time $500 check when you apply to use for whatever you need, your bills, your rent or whatever. Turns out Guy Fieri was on his grizzy because he was started banging those phones and reaching out to like corporate donors he knew. He this dude raised over $20 million for this fund like in a matter of a wow. couple of weeks. For and that means that's like when they break that down, that's like 40,000 people who can get mm-hmm. this grant because of him. And I'm like, yes, I, I I abandoned like Guy Fieri sucks maybe a year ago, but I'm like, eh. but now like with right. this one, I've I've had to take another moment is to just examine what my Fieri hate was. Was it that like it's funny because I'm a huge Triple D fan. I love that show. I think it's great. I love food. There's right. not it I never watch businesses. Yeah, and creates yeah. exactly like the amount of business it's created for these small these small restaurants is fantastic like there's apps even dedicated to be like am i near a thing guy fieri's been to um Mm -hmm. and now when you but then i'm just sort of like what the fuck is it i'm like was it it was easy to talk shit because he just looked like a dude with spiked tips and shit and i was just like oh fuck that fuck his weird flame button-ups i was like yeah it, it had to take a moment and just say like it was guy fieri merely there for me to feel cool comparatively and and not only now am I waking up to my own shallowness as to what my relationship with Guy Fieri actually is. I don't know. Yeah. That was beautiful, though. Like, yeah. I, I like that. I love I growth. had this process. It was, like, it was just weird. I'm like, why the fuck do I? Like, honestly, I'm like, I like everything he does. Aside from me being like, okay, I wouldn't dress like that. <laughs> there, yeah. There, there's something to be said for, like, it's easy to hate someone doing something very goofy, very confidently. I think that it's it's very easy to pile on, and then, yeah, and but but it's like if you look at like, well, what is that person actually doing? Like, <laughs> right, what right. are they doing? They're promoting a local business while looking goofy and being confident. Then it's just I feel like it's almost one of those like, I don't know, like you're you're sort of uh, cringing on their behalf because they're not going to cringe for themselves. Yeah, uh, right. But he's fine yeah. with himself. He seems to like himself. And I, and I, I think know. that's people what it like is, right? No, exactly. Right. Like insecure people don't like to see secure people do their shit because deep down you're like, man, fuck, why you why do you have that confidence to look like that, you fucking right, loser? Right. But like really <laughs> but I'm like it's necessarily like I think I'm speaking that, for myself. I'm speaking for yeah. myself. I'm dismantling yeah. my own insecurities vis-a-vis my relationship with Guy Fieri. <laughs> I think the way he entered the kind of collective consciousness is as like it, it's like Larry, if Larry the cable guy was a mad TV character Guy Fieri was played by the was just a different character played by that same like mad TV performer I feel like right. they were like it was just that same like 
vibe. So I, I yeah, I just feel like he got a bad break from like how he came uh packaged to two people. But yeah, yeah. I I mean I agree. Like judging people by their by their hair is probably not fair. Um <laughs> yeah, and probably. I think, well also I think also I had to kind of chip on my shoulder because I didn't like the name Tex Wasabi's. I was like, fuck that. You don't know shit about any right. food, bro. Just keep it moving yeah. with the fucking fun <laughs> restaurants. What's up? Right. And I mean, then, it's, and it's then like- there was that New York Times review of his restaurant in Times Square. And I was like, oh, this guy sucks. But it was like from this snarky perspective of like right. food writers who just want to take a dump on. I'm like, yeah, the food sucks or whatever. But like in my mind now, I'm like, leave guy alone. So I actually have a different take on that article because that okay. um, review of Guy Fieri's restaurant in New York Times was very famous. I thought it was very funny. Like it was written in a very funny manner. Yeah, yeah. But I think people misunderstand what the writer was trying to do because they were saying that the writer was being a snob for caring that the food wasn't good at that mm. restaurant. But I think what the writer was saying was like, People are going to come on a special trip to New York and they're going to go on a special trip uh, dinner to this restaurant and the food's not good and you're charging $40 an entree and you shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. And I think right. that okay. was like That's a fair. different point, but every, but the way that there the were ways came though, across. I, yeah, I think there were some yeah. descriptions of the food though that I was like, oh, okay. I mean, look, I enjoyed the A good writer. Flaming. I mean, there's no doubt of <laughs> the writer's Don't get talent. me wrong. But I'm just, you know, again- all this to say, I'm I'm doing all this introspection now uh, yeah. to to you know this is what I'm this is the work I'm doing in Quar. If I come out of here loving Guy Fieri, then I feel like I've done my part. You've grown yeah. as a person. Did you know that he also <laughs> fed firefighters and people who lost their houses? Yeah, the, yeah, the he's fire, done yeah, a lot. Santa Rosa. He's just yep. a fucking. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's weird how we just sort of reached this like threshold where it was no longer. I don't know. I think societally, we all just began to be like, yeah, we're not. Whatever, it's Guy Fieri. Like, maybe we've all grown. I don't know. I will say also that I went to a very fancy food event in Las Vegas at Caesars Palace in the pool area. And there's like multiple pools there. And at all the pools, it was a bunch of dressed up people like quietly drinking cocktails. But then when you went to Guy Fieri's pool area, that was a party. They had like a Guns N' Roses cover band and like airbrush artists doing work. And people were in the pool. Like, it was a much... More right. fun scene. <laughs> yeah. Definitely Meanwhile, Daniel Bullwood is like scoffing from his side. He's like, oh. Exactly. Right. Yes. <laughs> I gr- Pretty I accurate. Grew- I grew up in a very pro Fieri family where it, it was TGI Fridays oh. that carried his deal. Because I remember we like, my, my mom was very enthusiastic about Fieri's output. And so, and she also, I'm kind of, every time I hear his name, I'm wondering where she picked this up, but she had this thing where she would be like, it's not Fieri, it's Fieri. You have to pronounce it the Italian way. Oh. Like she was very into him. And Salute. so we went we went to like TGI Fridays and my mom was like, I would like Guy Fieri's mozzarella sticks. <laughs> like his, uh, mozzarella. He's mozzarella. fun. He's like, he's yeah. fun. And, and the best part is that uh, Guy Fieri, Fieri Fieri, depending on the pronunciation you prefer. I should put respect on his name. Doesn't give a fuck what we think of him. And that is part of why he is himself. He doesn't, he, someone who like, you just, if you're Guy Fieri, you can't give a fuck what people think of you or you can't be yourself in that way. Yeah. I think also the misunderstanding is... of what Diners, Drive-Ins, and Dives was doing. Cause I know when it started, I think I was in my early 20s and I was like, why does he like everything? How can he be this enthusiastic about <laughs> oh, all food? Yeah. yeah. But Welcome now that town. like 
I'm smarter and also smarter people than me have explained it to me. It was totally just to keep these businesses going. That's what mm. it was. Yeah, I yeah. mean, if you if you go the John Taffer route where you travel the country verbally <laughs> abusing small business owners, that's literally, oh. like, it's just, it's I also fun. Show, it's though. just as fun to watch, but you're uh, like, oh, this is a sick. less noble endeavor. Get with it. I mean, Get I hope this is <laughs> what what that article by uh, man was talking about. How like another way that uh, pandemics influence culture is by uh, you know that there was like a peasant revolt after the uh, after the Black Plague and. I'm hoping that we see, and maybe this is like emerging class solidarity where like we used to identify, like we used to be stratified by like, well, I'm a New York Times reader and looking down on like Guy Fieri. Yeah. And now it's more like. We the, are Guy can Fieri. Can you pronounce it? We are. We're all Guy Fieri. Dude, yeah. new uh, thing. Instead of Guy Fox masks, Guy Fieri masks. Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh my god. I love it. That's we need Have to that do shit that. marching on 1600. <laughs> <laughs> They're like the Fietis are here. The McConaissants, he just like got a Lincoln sponsorship yeah. whereas Guy Fietti's doing doing Set work. Set off the revolution, bro. Raising 20 million dollars. Uh Catherine, it's been so fun having you, uh, as Thank always. You. Where can people uh, find you and follow you? Um, let's see. My podcast is called Smart Mouth. It's a food history podcast. It's um, two words, Smart Mouth. Um, and I'm on Twitter at Catherine Spires and on Instagram at Smart Mouth Podcast. Yeah, yeah. And is there a tweet or some other work of social media you've been enjoying? Um, there was just one tweet that made me incredibly happy. It was someone named Drew Gregory. Their handle is draw underscore Gregory. And they wrote, something I don't talk about a lot is that my grandma cheated on my grandpa with Don Knotts. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. Wow. Oh. That's good, wow, right? Wow, wow, that well, I don't know about that. that <laughs> wow. That's a, f Wow. That's yeah. incredible. I liked it so much for so many reasons. It really made me happy. You know, so. weird thought, because I just have to speak whatever my active brain is thinking. I first learned, figured out who Don Knotts was was because of the movie Serial Mom, the John Waters film. They're at a swap meet, and the guy buys a painting of Don Knotts and goes, it's Don fucking Knotts. And it's like a throwaway <laughs> line. It walks away. I was like, what the fuck was that? Anyway. <laughs> He's an icon. Jamie, it's been a pleasure having you. Where can people find you and follow you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jamie Loftus Help, Instagram at Jamie Christ Superstar. Uh, I think I'm just going to give a digital shout out to Chas and Buttigieg's new memoir title. It's the goof. It's, I don't know what, I mean, I don't. I don't have a strong a memoir, opinion okay. on Chas and Buttigieg, but the name of his memoir is I Have Something to Tell You. What? <laughs> it made me laugh a lot. It's a, I think, what a direct name for a book where you're <laughs> yeah. inevitably going to tell someone something. And he looks so happy on the there. My friend, I'll show it, my friend George Severus at George Severus uh, tweeted the, the cover. It said, me texting everyone that this is the new The Secret. <laughs> 
Because it's just, <laughs> it's just Chasen smiling, and it says, "I have something to tell you, Chasen." Right. You're just like he's like you're living <laughs> in a white supremacist corporatocracy. Okay, end book. Oh, you think the Buttigieg camp would ever admit that? Never. Yeah. Wait, uh, that's so weird. Well, there's I, my in my opinion, mind, I'm hoping for a messy tea report on Pete. I'm like, drag her. <laughs> I know. I we'll we'll see. We'll see. But right now, all we know is that Chasen has something to tell us, and we won't know what it is till September. Is there 1st. a subtitle even? A memoir. Ah. Oh. <laughs> I thought. Yeah, it would give us some inkling, like my, how I, I has something, something to, to tell, tell you. you. He has how I got real you. and got happy. There, <laughs> yeah, I was like, my theory is what he has to tell us is probably not much, but but he has something right. to tell us, and he doesn't even promise that it's juicy. It's just something. Yeah, my my assumption would be that he's writing that book right now frantically because he has no idea. <laughs> like, to he's tell just you. Like, someone yeah, ghost yeah, wrote no, this uh, in six weeks. There. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just know that it's something. We'll we'll get more specific later. Miles, where can people? <laughs> Where can people find you, Miles? Uh, find me, follow me, Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Miles of Gray. Also on Twitch.tv. I've did a little stream over the weekend. Starting to starting to twitch it up, you know? I'm lonely out here. Uh, also, my other show, 420 Day Fiance, talking about 90 Day Fiance with Sophia Alexander. Also, I was on Catherine's uh, podcast, Smart Mouth. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about Mofongo, uh, sure the, one of my favorite Ooh. dishes, and she put me on to, wow, we put each other on to so much knowledge. It was a pure knowledge fest yeah um i would love to come back if you'll have me um let's see some tweets that i like first one is from uh, zara rahim at zara rahim it's a quote tweet of a complex tweet that says billy irish billy irish uh billy eilish quote wrote a whole song in its entirety end quote during quarantine zara quote says Dolly Parton wrote, I will always love you and Jolene in the same day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah. put that on. Um, another one. That's always mind blowing to me, like how like hit songs seem to just like explode out of people's minds in like a couple minutes. Like, yeah, right. it's like so wild. Yeah. Um, and then one more is from uh, actually Zeitgang listener. At the Doc Fish, Dr. Randall Fish, uh, we were talking about how Jamie likes to ride dirty with no license, uh, and he posited this tweet as a joke. Jamie Loftus, knock, knock, Miles of Gray. Who's there? Jamie, Daisy, Miles, Daisy who? Jamie, Daisy me rolling. They hate it. <laughs> so that gave me a nice laugh, so shout out to you, Doc Fish. <laughs> Uh, tweet I've been enjoying. Jenny Hogan tweeted, "People will rarely call you ugly to your face, but if you get slightly better looking, they will heavily imply that you used to be ugly." Yeah, very true. Damn, <laughs> it is. Jenny, as always, serving truth. Serving up truth. Uh, and also, Sean Clemens tweeted, rolling my eyes and saying, "Okay, Karen," when my wife asks me to help her with literally anything. Uh, <laughs> find me on twitter at jack underscore o'brien you can find us on twitter at daily zeitgeist we're at the daily zeitgeist on instagram we have a facebook fan page and a website dailyzeitgeist.com where we post our episodes and our footnotes where we link off to the information that we talked about in today's episode as well as the song we ride out on miles what's that gonna be today Let's do a track from Zero Seven. Uh, this, this, I've been thinking a lot about this band because I've been 
trying to pick up my bass guitar again and the this album when it falls the first zero seven album had like these groovy bass lines that were easy enough that i could learn very early on and i would play along with this album a lot uh they are also one of the reasons i came into contact with sia's music uh because she would always be a featured vocalist on other productions so this is a track called somersault by zero seven with sia there's also uh, a remix that danger mouse did that's also worth checking out if you want to go down that route but this is zero seven somersault Somersault? Somersault. All right. Uh, like the gymnastics move. Somersault. I was thinking oh, the season summer. and the flavoring. Ah, no. That would be off her album Winter Pepper. Oh, got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> the Daily Zeitgeist is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. That is going to do it for this morning. We'll be back this afternoon to tell you what's trending, and we'll talk to you then. Bye. Bye. You talk to me.